Those of you who were not here last week, uh, I want to tell you that there was this beautiful moment where uh, we had this ceremony to officially install me. That's the word they use, install me as the senior pastor of the church. And uh, that, that afternoon, I was invited back to join with our sister uh, congregation, Nueva Esperanza, and they had their leaders come forward up here, and they prayed for me, and uh, they made me cry for the second time yes, uh, last week. Uh, it, was, it was wonderful, and it really spoke to the vision of partnership between our churches. They pray for Simi Covenant, and uh, I hope that we're praying for them as well. Uh, we are so grateful uh, to be together with them here. Uh, so uh, it was great. I, I just, I'm really grateful for the wonderful welcome you guys have all given me. Uh, this is a period of time for me to get to know you guys, to meet the church and, and know you. And so over the next few Sundays, uh, we are going to be doing a series called Meet the Church, which is a chance for me to get to meet you. Thank you for wearing your name tags. I'm getting to know everyone's names. I have heard stories also of people who have been here for a little while who said, thank you very much. You allowed me to remember the name of that guy I've been saying hi to for five years. <laughs> so I'm glad to give you an excuse for that. And, you know, it's, a, it's another way for us to be able to welcome other new people, right? So it's not, you know your own name. You know how to write it. It's not very hard to put it on, and that's good. So thank you. And I like, I've seen some good decoration. People are choosing color schemes that, uh, that match their personality. That's good. Uh, so uh, we started, actually, this series last week. That was partly why I picked a, a verse for Pastor Paul when he was here. Uh, we, we talked last week about meeting the church, we, who, who the leader of the church is. And the leader of the church is the triune God himself, the, the Father who calls the church into existence, Christ who dies and gives his life to purify the church, the Spirit who empowers and gives direction to the church. We have some terrific things that are happening in our own church right here. There's a lot to celebrate. I think it's wonderful to see the kids and uh, to think about the children's programs that are happening, uh, and that is amazing. There are things like that that really, I, I think, give me hope for the future. But what is God's aim? Uh, it's, it's not just having a program like that. We love our wonderful programs, but what, is, what does God want for our church? What is his aim? What direction is God headed in? Now, the church is not a club, right? A club where people join around a common interest or goal. We do have a common interest, but it's not the same. We're not a guild, which is uh, where people from the same type of profession join together to join um, on a common front to fight for something. We're not a political party trying to shape policy. Uh, Christians have historically been a part of all of those different kinds of groups, but the church is a special place that unites us because we have in common, not just that we are from a specific place. The church brings together people from all over the world, different languages and movements. What we have in common is that we, were all, we all recognize that at some time we were God's enemies, or we at least ignored him, neglected him, and he saved us even in that, in that, even in that moment. And that is something that we can revel in. We revel in that truth. So God's aim for the church then is, I'm going to read my passage in a second. God's aim for the church is to gather all nations to revel in God. And apparently my aim is to make you bring your glasses to church. Um, I'm sorry, I was a little So God's aim for the church is to gather all nations to revel in God. 
Uh, we, we see this in passages like in Revelation 7, where the Apostle John was given this vision of the end of time, and it included people from every tribe and tongue and nation and culture. And the only thing that they have in common together is that they are, they are joyously gathered together in front of this um, kind of amazing image, striking image uh, that we'll look at another time. Um, but it's an image of Christ on the throne, and they are there before him, and they are reveling in him, and they, they celebrate because his sacrifice is the thing that has cleansed them in a way that they never could have done for themselves. God's aim for the church is that. That's where we're headed. That's the direction that we're going. And that image isn't just in uh, Revelation 7. It's also going to be here in the passage we're going to look at today in Psalm 96. So if you have your app or your Bible, you can um, open that. Psalm 96, where we're given this similar image of God gathering the nations together to revel in God's own self. It says this, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord Praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. I lost my spot. The, Lord, the world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to understand your word today and figure out what it means for us in, as we live out our lives. Uh, here uh, in, our, uh, in the midst of everything that's going on for us. We ask for you to teach us and guide us. In the name of Christ, amen. So God's aim for the church is to gather people of all nations to revel in God. So what does it mean for us to practically revel in God? Whoops. Uh, what does it mean for us to revel in God? Uh, we're going to be looking at this. Uh, you, were, you were right. Thank you. Sorry. So we're going to first, what does it mean for us to revel in God? Our passage doesn't tell us all the possible ways, but it does give us a few key actions and ways that we can help our hearts and minds to revel in God. And so we are going to sing, it's going to tell us to give, and it's going to tell us to wait. So in our passage today, we're going to see it says, sing, give, wait. So in our, um, if you could back it up to the first three verses, please. Uh, The nations now gathered together to revel in God, are first of all to sing. So this psalm, um, it actually has a really clear structure. If you spend more time to look at it, there are three different triplets where the words are repeated three times, and it it helps us to see, all right, these are the three kind of main points that the psalmist is getting at. And so it goes like sing, sing, declare, and it says ascribe, ascribe, worship, and then let, let, let. 
So the first thing that starts off is this idea of sing, and it says, sing to the Lord a new song. I, I, I kind of wonder what you hear or think about when you hear that. Uh, I think some of us who are maybe a bit more creative, you're thinking, yeah, that is exactly what I want to do. I love it when, uh, I love it that we have people in our church who write new worship songs, uh, and I think that's a, a wonderful thing. Maybe there are others of you who are saying, you know what, I don't, I haven't really learned the old songs yet. Uh, and in fact, if we, if you were to put in a, an organ here, that would be nice. <laughs> or maybe just right now you feel like you just plain don't feel like singing, right? Well, I think it's important for us to physically sing new songs, like the ones that we do get to he- uh, sing here. Uh, maybe you, you're like me, you will not necessarily sing, but maybe squawk out weekly and a bit off-key a new song. But while, while actually singing new songs is important, uh, what we are called to do, actually, is to sing a new song of faith from our hearts, a song that, that comes out of our response to who God is. And that song may or may not have words. You see, when, when there is a theme or an idea that is relevant and important, we, we need to express it in ways that matter to us today. That's why there are still love songs on the radio, right? There's always going to be a new love song. And they're, they're not going away because love is a topic that is relevant to our lives. It, and it matters to us. And when a topic intersects with our life today, that is where we sing our song. And, and you know what? Love songs aren't always happy, right? There are just as many songs about breakups and pain as there are sappy ballads with, I don't know, birds and rainbows and stuff, right? That's because the, the topic of love where it intersected with the life of the singer, was it a low moment or a difficult moment? And God is as relevant today as ever. He is the most relevant, the most important thing. And and we can push him aside at times, it's true, but where God intersects with our lives, in the timeline of our lives, that determines the kind of song we're going to sing do you have a slide for that one somewhere? So, maybe picture yourself as maybe the orangish, goldish, depending on what kind of mood you're in, your orange or your gold, um, line on here. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, uh, when you, if your life is maybe at point A, you're going to sing a certain kind of song. When you're at a point B, you're going to sing a whole different kind of song. One moment is going to be joyful, and one is going to be painful. And in, in this room this morning, we are all in different places on the line. You may have a song to sing today just because you're happy that you're alive. <laughs> you may, but I want to tell you, you do have a song to sing because you're alive. All of us are here. God is alive today too. And our lines are intersecting. You see, sometimes we think that we have to produce something in ourselves and to come up with certain emotions in order to worship God. We feel like we need to be up to the task of worshiping him. And that's, that's, not, that's not what God asks of us. How do you feel coming in here today? What is the thing that is preoccupying you? Now, 
What does it mean for you that at that point, right here, there is a powerful and loving God of the universe who saves us, who pursues us? Maybe you even feel like, hey, I've been in this place before. I've been in this thing before. But you know what? You're at a new point on the timeline. You've never been as old as you are today, right? (laughs) You have never... (laughs) That's going to be the only thing you take away. Thanks a lot. I'm older than... What was Kurt's sermon about? I'm older than ever. Thanks a lot. The point is that you have never been in these exact circumstances, and you have a new song to sing to God in these circumstances. If you read the Psalms, you will see that these, are, these songs of the faithful run the gamut of emotions. And one of the most, uh, most common themes that's there is a painful cry to God. So if, if we can decide today that wherever we find ourselves, on our timeline, that we will respond to God, sing a song to God, I think that that is exactly the action that God wants us to take. That is a way for us to to revel in God and just say, God, you are here. This is not what I want. That is a great new song for you to start singing. And, And what's interesting, in our passage, it says all of the world is invited to sing that song. Uh... Sing to the Lord all the earth. This, this new song isn't about us, but we are involved in, in turning to God and, and singing this song to him. It's about this amazing God that we worship. Proclaim his salvation day after day. So for us, we, we need to seek to understand who God is and what he's done. This is the God who, who created this amazing world for us. He created everything that's beautiful. And he put us in relationship with it and with him. And though he turned, we turned away from him, he still saved us. It's amazing. And in comparison, we have these uh, other, uh, we have the other gods. Uh, um, it says, for all the gods of the nations are idols. Literally, the Hebrew word for that uh, word idols is closer, closer to something like worthless. All the other uh, nation, uh, gods of the nations are worthless, or one commentator put it, he called them non-entities. The gods of these other nations, really, the gods of every other god that's out there for us to turn to as well, it's the things that we turn to, comfort, recognition, and, and we know those things are going to fail us. Anything short of the real God is going to fail us. It's worthless. And we know that, and we keep going back to them. They come up short. If you're not yet a Christian, our church community here at Simi Covenant is a, is a place where you can explore who God is, and, and you can learn about how he has acted in history. And, and all of it, you're invited to join us as we think about how we can ponder afresh who this God is, this real God who interacts with our lives right where we are right now. Turn from those things then that are worthless, empty, non-entities. Let's do that together. In our song, let's sing to God. Next, we're going to move to giving. It says in here, um, the second triplet is this, ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. 
And uh, NIV uses a scribe. And, you know, the biblical translators are struggling here. They're trying to figure out, how can I translate this word in a way that we can understand? And um, the, the word ascribe also in, in Hebrew, it has a, has a sense of something like to give to God, something closer to bestow, which probably they didn't use that word because we, don't, we never use the word bestow in our daily life. Bestow on the, on the Lord. So we're, we're, we're giving him something that he's actually due. We're not like naming something about him that we want to be true. It is what we want, but we're giving him what he's due. It's closer to something like uh, a, the victor of a race gets a medal. They're bestowed a medal. They are the ones who deserve that thing, and we're giving it to them. We give recognition for their accomplishments. So I, I think the first thing that we can give to God is our attention. It's, it's our most sought-after commodity today. It's actually monetized, right? All the advertisers want our eyeballs. They want our attention. And one of the things that says love to our uh, people around us is sometimes when we put down our phone, close our computer, whatever it is, and say, hey, I, I want to listen to you. Let's talk. We can give that to our friends. And, and I, I appreciate it. You know, you have given, chosen to give a little bit of attention to God today by coming here. The other gods are worthless, nothing compared to our God, but our God actually has glory and strength already. But what's interesting in the passage, it says bring, we can bring these things to God also. We, we bestow to the Lord glory and strength. That means we have some of our own. We have our own uh, respect and our own strength and we are called on to give them up to God. In verse 7, there's this repetition then of the global aspect of this call, the family of nations. And now all these families are called to make this concrete. So we're supposed to come and, and bring a, a, an offering into his courts, verse 8. For the Israelite who had decided that God is amazing and great, they would, and supposed to be feared above all gods, that person would come and bring a gift to the Lord, bring an offering into his courts. And for us, we also are able to give our gifts to God of our attention and our time and our material goods and our uh, love. We give those things in worship to the greatness of God. So what if the primary act of action and worship that God wants you, from you today is to, to see really what you have, what honor, what glory and strength, what belongings, what time, what attention you have, and say, you know what? I'm not supposed to hold on to all of this. I'm supposed to use it then to, to bless others in a way that points to God's glory and his amazingness as an act of worship. Thirdly, so we are supposed to, uh, we're supposed to sing, we're supposed to give, and now lastly, we're going to wait. We, what are we waiting for? That's a bit surprising. We're waiting for God to come and judge, it says. It says, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. What's actually most surprising to me is actually this whole, this whole bit uh, that 
all of creation seems happy about this, right? I, I think when we think about judgment, it's kind of a scary sort of thing. But it says, the heavens rejoice, the earth is glad, the sea, the fields, the trees, and the forest. After naming pretty much everything, then he ends up summarizing it and says, let all of creation rejoice because of him coming. And what, why is this good to rejoice about? Well, because he comes in his righteousness and his faithfulness. God is, God's fair. God's fair. He is, he's the only person, the only one that we could ever expect to be completely right and fair. He's a judge who not only sees the situation perfectly, he understands the context, he understands our motives in that situation, and he also has the strength strong enough to carry out his judgment. I think too often in the church, we, we either kind of ignore this idea about judgment or maybe it's like too scary to us. We have too much fear about it. But one of the, the most common early church prayers was, come, Lord Jesus. Do you know what that is in Aramaic? Maranatha, right? You've heard that before. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. They were longing for God, actually, to come and make things right because the, this impending and this announcement of impending judgment was, was hope for them. They were so powerless, and they felt like if God comes, he's going to fix this. It isn't supposed to be like this anymore. And, and even Christians today who are under the threat of the sword, they want God's justice to come. Because they, they know that God's judgment is way better than Caesar's judgment. Caesar would... Crucify his enemies, he would, uh, but God chooses to accept crucifixion for his enemies. Caesar has judgment in order to keep power, but God gave up power to win us to him. We wait expectantly for judgment because God is just and good and better than we even would have expected. But the other reason why we don't need to be afraid of judgment or we should ask for it to come is because the person who are, we are waiting for is our Redeemer. Ultimately, it comes to this. Christians can have confidence in the final judgment because for our sake, Jesus Christ himself was willing to face a gross miscarriage of justice in order to save us. He was the only truly good person ever if anybody deserved to be acquitted, he was, but he wasn't. He submitted himself to face the ultimate punishment of the Roman Empire. It was meant for criminals. And he took our judgment on himself. And that, that rallies us together. That's exciting for us. But this is the amazing fact. That same person is the one who's going to judge us. So if we, if we truly belong to the Lord, in the moment of judgment, who are we brought before? Our Redeemer, the very one who saves us. At that moment, the promise of the gospel will be given in full to us. The thing that we have longed for, when we stand before him and he says, yeah, boy, you are guilty, but you know what? I forgive you because you're mine. I died for you. And it makes it very clear then, it's, it's not about us being good. It's about, do we belong to this one who will judge us? That's something we can, we can wait expectantly for. Are we connected to that Savior? 
Are we connected to him? Does he know us and do we know him? And finally, we can wait expectantly for this judgment because that day is good. He's going to get rid of everything bad and false. When God's judgment arrives, all things are going to be shaken. That's the kind of scriptural word to say it. But basically, he's going to shake out everything bad. Everything that takes the place of ultimate significance like rulers and economies and ideologies and governments are going to get shaken loose and laid bare. Everything's going to be exposed for what it really is, including what's inside of me and inside of you. It's the arrival of true justice. It's not just anybody's justice. It's the justice meted out by this amazingly faithful and wonderful God who judged the world in his righteousness and his faithfulness. He's the one who brings peace. So it's good news because he's going to make the world back to how it's supposed to be. I think we've gotten a little too used to living in a broken down world. Maybe, maybe you drive a broken down car. I don't know. So you kind of get used to it. You're like, well, you just have to wiggle the thing and so it'll start, you know? Right? But that's not the way that God meant our world to be. We live in a broken down world. And we're kind of used to it. We live in a broken down world where our friends and our family let us down. We live in a broken down world where my body lets me down. Where our systems of government let us down. Where our, even our church is going to let us down. But let me tell you. Our God will not let us down. Our God is not going to let us down. He's going to make all things right. And that is something we can look forward to expectantly, hopefully. Brothers and sisters, the future belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. God, your aim for the church is for us to gather the nations together to revel in you. We want you to get bigger in our eyes. Uh, I, I want to see that who you are is bigger to me today than yesterday. I want to pay attention to you. So I pray that I will sing to you a song about what's going on with me right now, about how good you are and about the reality of what's happening with me right now. I've got a song to sing. And I want to come to you to give what I've got. The thing, I'm not supposed to hang on to these things. They are for you. I want to give you my attention and my time and everything of me. You, I know that you want me. And I want to wait for you. Things are not exactly right right now, but I want to work toward that, and I want to pray for you to come and make things right. In the meantime, I want to work toward that, pray for things to be right. We, we pray for little kids who get sick. We pray for uh, our bodies that are breaking down, and, and we pray for things that are unjust in our world. God, we want you to come because you are the good one. You are the right one, and we want to submit ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen.